Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and happy to give you actionable ideas to elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening, and as always, for your great feedback. Glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are on the cutting edge of our sector. And speaking of feedback, don't forget to check out and complete our podcast survey. Uh, we're trying to do it here at the end of 2020, and in fact, are going to lift up three nonprofit organizations. We're going to give them shout outs in our final year end episode on December 31st. So, Complete the simple five-minute survey. Let us know what you think. Help us get ready for 2021 and just indicate what organization you represent in the final field. And we'll pick three of them at random and lift up some great causes that are out there. Now, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Karen Eber Davis, whose experience is all across the nonprofit leadership board particularly around two topics that I know are on your mind right now if you're a nonprofit leader. Number one, it is how do I recruit and engage stellar board members? The second topic that I'm sure is on your list for 2021 is how do I create a more sustainable and dynamic fundraising program, especially in this virtual environment? If those are two topics on your mind, and I bet they are, then you're in the right place. Karen has worked with literally hundreds of nonprofit organizations throughout her consulting practice and offers a goldmine of resources and takeaways within this episode. We start off with some really good advice from Karen about how to be productive in this work-from-home environment. And then we move into the headlines. Number one, how do we have better success recruiting dynamic and engaged board members. And and she offers advice, even if we're late to the game, if we're behind and need to make this happen quickly, Karen still has things that can help us make that happen. And finally, we talk about her great book. It's called Let's Raise Nonprofit Millions Together. And she shares some of the secrets within that book about the mindset you need, as well as the team you must put together to make it happen. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 77. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources we mentioned, as well as more information on Karen, her book, and the great work she's doing through her consulting practice. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us through any of our social media channels, and make sure you're on our email list. We're sending out weekly free resources, uh, including podcasts like this one, and we want to make sure we can provide this kind of material when you need it in ways that will be most helpful. We want to help you and your nonprofit on its strategy and fundraising and you personally on your professional journey. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Karen Eber Davis. Karen, thank you for joining me on The Path. It's great to be here on The Path. Well, exciting to have this conversation and delighted to have you on this program, Karen. You've literally had experience with hundreds of nonprofits, and that experience translates to wonderfully practical advice. And I know you're going to get into two headlines today 
something that nonprofit leaders are facing literally all the time. How do we get great and stellar board members into our organization and how do we fundraise better? And you are perfectly aligned with both of those topics. Before we dive in though, let me start with the question that you've perhaps heard me ask other guests. How did you get into this nonprofit work uh, that's led to the work you're doing now? Uh, really early on um, in high school, I had the experience being a camp counselor, and I just wanted to work with normal people and have a good time. And I love seeing people's growth. But what brings me to the board leadership piece is really um, not what I loved. It was a terrible board experience. My first real job where I really competed for the job and got the job was with a nonprofit, and the board was terrible. And I could go through a lengthy analysis of why they were terrible, but um, I would leave that board meeting and have a migraine headache the next day and Ouch. just dread it and, and just like, oh, is this over soon? And, and if we would meet at like at five o'clock and the evening light would come and it would be dark when we left. And we felt darker after we left. So it's really kind of one of these experiences that when I have clients who say, gee, my board gives me a hard time, I get it. Well, and it clearly you translated that early rough experience into good advice because you're right. There's too much good going on for us to get stuck in a negative vibe, a negative experience. And I'm glad we're going to talk about how you took those early uh, less than enjoyable experiences and have translated into, frankly, very positive nonprofit leadership. Uh, before we get into that, though, let me ask you one other thing, Karen, for you personally or other nonprofit leaders you run into these days. How are you or they adapting to this virtual environment? Have you seen any good particular advice on, I guess, productivity in a virtual world? One of the things I learned early on when I was learning to work from home was I needed butt glue. And I, I literally looked this up Pat, this morning. There is a thing called butt glue. Models <laughs> use it to keep their bathing suits in, in place, but... I, in some ways, you should almost ask for a, a thing of butt glue in your holiday stocking. Um, <laughs> just to remind you, because I would be working at home, and all of a sudden, I would be doing my dishes in the sink. And I'd be like, what am I doing here? I've got a deadline. I'm supposed to be doing this work. And I, I couldn't learn how to learn how to sit in my desk and stay there. And so what I would do is come and put my, I had, I had a timer. I put a timer on. And I would put it on for 30 minutes. And the rule was if I got up and was doing something else, I had to add time to it. And slowly over that, I learned the skill of shutting off the rest of my household. And it is a skill. And it's learnable. And you train yourself just like you would train yourself to get up and brush your teeth in the morning. It's just a habit kind of form how to do that. And if people are still struggling with that at this point, it's, it, you know, get yourself some butt glue as a reminder and set some discipline for yourself. Karen, love that. And uh, I have to admit, you're the first one that has brought butt glue to the uh, list of, <laughs> of advice. Um, but you're right, the, the distractibility is still there as, a, I guess, a threat to our productivity. And I guess I've heard the, the Pomodoro method, right, is somewhat similar mm -hmm. to what you describe of staying focused for short bursts of time. Yeah, I use Pomodoro. I find really Pomodoro is wonderful when I'm writing the first hard, fresh draft. And then I use other techniques for other, 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 other situations. You. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Well, wonderful. You've warmed us up with uh, productivity. You've told us a little bit about your story. And let's get into one of your areas of expertise, which is how do we recruit and engage stellar board members? So you described, I guess, some of the things I bet our listeners feel, some of them, the board experience is just not uplifting. In fact, it, it drags us down. So what else are you seeing maybe, Karen, that uh, some of the pitfalls in terms well, of nonprofit yeah. leaders? You know, having looked at that experience that I talked about with the opening um, with that very bad board, um, you know, you want to go back and analyze it. You're a consultant. You do this kind of thing. Um, and one of the things that I think is helpful for re- leaders, if I could go back in time, I would talk to the CEO and say, you know, you've done a really good job. You're listening to your community. You're inviting people who speak out and fuss and make a big, you know, big, big deal. But those aren't always your best leaders, even though they might be passionate about your cause. You're looking for people who are thoughtful rather than wanting to have the whole stage to themselves. And so you're looking for people who are leaders. And, and, and the voice in the meeting that's always loud is often about getting attention, not necessarily leadership. So that'd be one pitfall. An, another pit. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was just going to agree with you that we sometimes stop at getting talent around the table, but we need to be more thoughtful and intentional about exactly what that leadership looks like, don't we? Because the best or maybe the most um, assertive personality may not be the best leader, and, and we could be the victim of that in a hurry. Right, right. And sometimes it's, it's I think, if you look at Doris Goodwin, um, and she has another name, um, Team of Rivals, I think the CEO was trying for that. Keep, keep people close, but there's a difference between um, inviting people who really are caring about the organization versus their own agenda. That's a great point. What else do you see that um, you think I hurts people, us? We have, a, we, have a, we have an immediate focus. We tend to recruit our board members now and think about, not think about that process. And so, so taking your board as an ongoing part of your experience and the idea that you need to develop a plan for them where you want them to go right yearly so it's so like it's a great time it's the end of the year where's my board of all the members who's really strong of the ones what do they need next year as a group what do they need as individuals i think i've seen that as well karen that we're not seeing in my experience a lot of evaluation or self-assessment and so does that lead to kind of a continuity a continuation of these problems because we don't stop and evaluate board performance? Um, both ourselves and we should be asking our boards to engage in that process too. So we touched on fundraising, but one of the things is to have the board say, gee, what would a, a good board look like in terms of helping with fundraising? What are some of the ideas that they have and let them create a curriculum or an accountability? Great point. Instead of just kind of twisting their arm with a requirement of fundraising, which we'll talk about, let's let them co-create a process that's going to be beneficial for all. Um, love how you, in, in fact, in, in several of the material I've looked at, you, your website has wonderful resources on this topic. But I think a lot of us have been guilty as nonprofit leaders of just procrastination, right? Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. nomination process, uh-oh, it's that time of year again when we've got people rolling off. Now we've got to find someone to fill their spots um, if we are guilty of that procrastination, Karen, what can we do if we are, in fact, late to the game? Well, it's the end of the year, and probably people have also gotten um, caught up with end of the year fundraising and the holidays, et cetera, and COVID, a few things on the list this year. 
Um, it's, it's really important to recognize that it's, this happens and embrace it. So of course, the usual suspects you would go back to is your current board members. Um, and instead, I would encourage you, instead of doing the group ask, oh, we're on a Zoom call or whatever, let's, let's ask everyone to you know, name names, is call the key board members. Yep. Perhaps you have someone who works in a law firm and they have new associates and they might be able to make some suggestions. If not even from their firm, they may know other firms. Um, and same thing with your vendors. Many people, your accountant, your CPAs, your graphic designer, if they're bringing on new staff, those new staff people may be looking for a new home in the community. Love that. And I've seen also, Karen, that sometimes a lot of nonprofits benefit from sponsor relationships. And it may not be the contact at your sponsoring company, but that sponsor contact may well know someone else at the firm, at the company, who might be interested in your cause. It's similar to, I guess, your advice about vendors. Um, we have a relationship with them. They know us. They may very well have ideas for board leaders. And and they sometimes it's a favor if it's if you if it's the right person, it's a favor for them. They're able to say, oh, I've got this this new person who's really trying is is a great person, and they're looking to connect in town. They're strengthening their relationship with that person, so it's a favor. It's not it's not a burden. Yeah, that's a it's a win win. And well, and you and I both have seen throughout so many communities and the nonprofits within them, they're, they're the usual suspects in town, right? Mm -hmm. Typically. I guess, high profile uh, individuals with means um, that may be out of reach. So what do you suggest or should we go after the usual suspects? And, and what do you think is the best approach there? If you have the timeline to go after them, I would certainly bring up the question. And, and when I would do it, I would say, you know, we'd, we'd love for you to do that. But perhaps there's someone you know who, again, is, is cares about our cause and they're in your Rolodex. Again, we're looking for people who um, could be overlooked and, right. and looking for that. And, and I know people call me and they say, hey, I'm looking for a good board to be on. And who do you suggest? So that's happening. People are having those conversations, especially people who are active in the nonprofit world. I love that advice, too. And, and again, someone may genuinely want to support your cause, but he or she's maybe on three nonprofit boards right now, really couldn't commit but you offer them an outlet to help you. But hey, let me talk to someone else in my family, in my business place, in other organizations. So I love that idea of not all or nothing with a quote, usual suspect. Also, it's a chance for them to keep you in mind. I mean, if you develop that relationship with the usual suspect board member and they know that you might contact them periodically, they'll keep that in the back of their mind. This is building the community. And if they are really active in many boards, they're recognizing that having great nonprofits is building their, their business and what yes. they're doing and their nonprofits. Great point, Karen. And in essence, it's, it's relationship cultivation, isn't it? So it benefits you in a lot of ways and gets your organization's name in front of prominent uh, leaders in the community. In fact, you've got good advice about it. We don't want to get into this kind of backed into a corner procrastination, right? End of the year. Now, uh-oh, we have to recruit. What are some of the things you recommend, even on a monthly basis, that a nonprofit leader can improve uh, board recruitment? Well, this is a very, very technical solution. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. You, you, take, you take a pad of paper and you write board, you know, board people, board potential, board, board prospects on it. 
And once a month, it's time to prepare for your board meeting. That pad of paper comes up and you think, who have I met this month? Who might be a possible board member? And not only that, when you go to your board meeting, you might say it's a Zoom meeting, say, say you're, you're actually together, and you, the first people are drawing, and they're sitting down, and you're ready to go, and say, hey, Patton, so good to see you. Let me ask you a question. You know, we're always thinking about board members. Anyone you've met this month, we should be thinking about. So it becomes a continual part of the conversation. Ideally, you have an active list of, I don't know what your magic number would be, but say if you have 10 board members, you have a list of 20. Yes. And when you get those people, you're thinking, are they acting like a good board member when I'm seeing this in this group? Um, well, I'm seeing them at a, a chamber meeting. You know, Is that person talking to one person or are they talking to other people? Like they'd be great at a gala. Um, you know, what skills, are they someone um, who I'm hearing give thoughtful answers or asking thoughtful questions at the chamber or whatever event or volunteer setting you have? Suggest they'd be a good board member. And I love that, Karen, I use the phrase often that we, the best nonprofits make nominating a year-round practice. As you suggest, we need to keep it on our monthly radar. I love that you keep it on the agenda for every board meeting. Because again, I have seen nonprofits that the nominating committee, in essence, scrambles together at that end of year period or end of whatever, you know, term limit occurs, when in fact, you're suggesting make it part of the ongoing discussion. And I think you just set a good barometer there. You should have as many board uh, nominees on your list as you have board members. In fact, twice that. So you got 15 board members, you ought to be looking at 20 to 30 people, right? That might be candidates over the next couple of years. Good people are not going to be available right away. Absolutely. And, and some people who look good on paper, you don't necessarily want them in your board. You might want them for a trusted advisor on the other piece. What, part of my healing from this um, bad board experience and how I got to this place, for years I said, I don't do board work. No, no, no. But here I am. <laughs> right, right. Um, it was, which, but, but part of my journey was a conversation I had after a board meeting that went well with the CEO. And I said, you know, Carl, you know, you have a really good board. And I said, so, you know, here's a board you're working for. You're a real bright guy. You have all kinds of opportunities in the world, but you're staying here. How, why do you let a board control your life? This was like, you know, having come out of that, you know, why would you, you know, he said, oh, Karen, there's one secret. And he whispered to me, control the nominating committee. Indeed. And I thought, this is brilliant, of course. Um, as the CEO, you want to work with great board members. You want board members who will partner with you. You want board members who will challenge you, but not, you know, threaten you. There's a difference between you can do yep. better, Patton, versus, yep. oh my gosh, you know, you know, what a terrible thing you've done. Um, and really, if things go bad, you want board members who will help you walk the path. I love that. And, and again, as you said, we're not trying to take over nominating. You want the board members and the current board to help you with that process, but there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't be bringing good candidates to the table, right? That are favorable to your leadership style and will work well together because you're right. I have seen some real declines where the board and the CEO become arch enemies and that's just a, uh, not a place we want to be. Yeah. And if you have a, a good, I mean, controlling, I mean, being, being thoughtful, caring about who's on that, nominating committee, but also having a nominating committee you trust and say, we have to talk candidly about these people. Have, you know, how have you seen them work? Um, this person seems like they always want to talk. 
um, or this person seems like they overcommit, you know, so you have a really good understanding of, of, of that long list you have of who is the best people for right now. That makes perfect sense. And again, to reinforce your good point, uh, we're keeping this topic top of mind so that it becomes more built into our culture, both the quality of the people we recruit and then the expectations of when they're on the board so they can be productive for us as nonprofit leaders. You know, as a new nonprofit leader, Karen, I think a lot of times we gravitate toward wealth, quite honestly, when we're mm-hmm. looking for good board members. But is that what we should be looking for? I mean, I guess that's part of it, but what do you suggest when we are looking for the characteristics in a stellar board member? Um, a stellar board member is a strategic thinker. And, and that'd be one. And number two, and maybe a member one is that they care about the organization or cause or something about the cause. Right. Um, they may not be totally in love with every aspect, but so, so for instance, they're interested in children and you, you serve a particular kind of children. That works. Um, the strategic thinking is the secondary characteristic that's really critical. And I think it's really hard. It's like when you see a strategic thinker, you know it, but when you like looking for one, it's hard to know. So here are some things that I think are helpful. Um, how does the inf- person interact with information? Right. Do they compare and contrast options? Can, can they imagine future consequences? So you're talking about, well, we might build a new building. Can they imagine if you don't? Can they imagine if you do? Um, Outside the box, it's not only A or B, but could be C or D or E. Like they come up with new options. You can find these things through these, I guess, through conversations with them, obviously, right? But I I love the fact that you're getting beyond just the will you serve. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You want them to demonstrate some of this critical thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's your board's role is to, to develop policies and strategies. And, and, you know, if they can only think about what color the napkins are, it's going to be a very methodical year. Indeed. Great point. Is there anything else we should be looking for? I mean, those, again, characteristics, we want them to be engaged. We want them to ask good questions. I guess, as you said previously, we want them to be willing to network and be an ambassador in the community, right? Particularly as it relates to them helping recruit. Yeah. Well, at least being good with relationships, which means having some sensitivity, what it means to be on a board um, in terms of like, oh, you know, so-and-so hasn't talked yet or boy, we've, you know, we've really made great, you know, that kind of encouraging people, like almost like you're doing good point here. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, and, and then again, not someone who's just isolated, um, they love your cause and they never go out and never do anything. You're really looking for people who are much more community minded. Well, and something else you've written on, Karen, which I thought was really important. While we are, of course, first focused on why we need them on our board for whatever characteristics, but we also need to think about what motivates them, right? What, what motivates individuals to want to serve on a nonprofit board? I wonder if you could speak to that. Sure, that'd be great. Um, and that's really important because if you're looking for that, you're doing that recruitment, it's really important to have in your mind what's the benefits, what, what, what can you provide? So we tend to want board members just like us. They love our cause and it's the best thing since sliced bread. But often they also, people are complex. They have multiple agendas. They, they're new in town, as we talked about potentially. 
and they're looking for people who will be helpful to them either in their business or in the fall time just to meet people who would know people. Um, they, they're looking for some skills. Um, many, many organizations, um, especially large um, infrastructure organizations, want their folks to be on boards because they learn skills. How do you how do you do things with very little resource? Right. How do you help volunteers to be motivated? If I can motivate volunteers, I can probably motivate my employees in my office. Um, another reason is um, our, our, our organization, that I'm, my, my business, is not very diverse, and I'm looking for my staff to get some skills in working with more diverse people. It's a bit, big issue right now. So there's a number of reasons um, besides I love this cause. Love that. And I wonder, again, if we could tweak some of our uh, material when we're trying to recruit a board member to talk about those opportunities. Yes, we want you to, to know and love our cause, but also, hey, there's some good things for you as a board member. You're gonna experience these opportunities as a result of serving on our board. And I think, Karen, that's a nice way of adding to, instead of the one-way street maybe, of please serve on our board to, hey, this is gonna be a good experience for both of us. So great way, we didn't talk about this at all um, yet, but when your board members leave or when they do you have an orientation with them, is a great question to say, why did you say yes? Great point. You know, what, what, do you, what, what are your goals here? And let's talk about that early on, hopefully early on as well as when they depart, right? Mm -hmm. And I was gonna ask you about that, Karen, the, the relative state of orientation for new board members. Um, I'm guessing you've seen a mixed bag as I have. Some organizations do it very well, but I've been guilty of the mistake of, you know, a board member comes to me one or two years into their term saying, you know, Pat, and I really love this organization, but it took me a while to figure things out. How do we maybe better address that? Or is that something you're seeing as well? Um, I think that that's universal because many of our nonprofits are complex and it, there's no way you, you would know. And you would forget that we immerse ourselves in them. 40 to 60 hours a week and, and in some cases that, that comes in the territory which is the classic whenever you do any work with nonprofits the word communication improving that comes up kind of thing but on the other hand is one of the things that I think is really helpful that I always recommend my clients do is spend one-on-one -on -one time with their boards once a year um, and, and that can be orientation to start with Right. Um, but it could also be a place where you say, you know, let me plug in some holes where you have some knowledge missing, as well as it's building out a relationship. So when you are in conversation with the board and there is a tense spot, you have a personal relationship to reflect on and to think, oh, okay, I remember they said that they were really interested in this. And if we go that option, no wonder they're opposed. It's really against what they're interested in. So it's, it's having that full head of knowledge about who these people are when you bring them together. Well put, Karen. And I'm struck by the fact that, and would underscore your advice, best practice, you're an executive director, you should connect with each board member individually at least once a year. Because I see a lot of times that, that the CEO or ED tends to connect with you know, the board chair or the executive committee perhaps, but you're suggesting maybe you're missing a real opportunity, but it is a time commitment but we need to connect with each one of them one-on-one. -on -one. I, I fully agree. And people, I think, are reluctant sometimes because there's the one or two board members 
that don't seem to be so favorable to you. Maybe they've right. been quiet all the meetings. Um, one of my clients, I had them do this and, you know, pulled, pulled her, you know, like, dude, you got to do this. Okay, how's it going? I said, take the worst one first. Well, sure <laughs> enough, she did. And the meeting was this person who was very internal and very quiet, but he loved her. He thought she was doing great. And he was just, you know, he was really, wasn't really connecting with the other board members. So it wasn't about her at all. And through that, she could help link him with, oh, you know, so-and-so has a dog, you do too. So she helped build some relationships for that person. So they were more comfortable and felt more, they had more connections inside the board. That's fantastic. And she now has, frankly, an ally, perhaps, right, where she may have otherwise thought, this guy doesn't like me. Or at least yeah. he's, uh, and maybe it's just he's introverted and demonstrates his, uh, his leadership in a different way. Uh, Karen, great advice throughout this part. I want to ask you, though, you know, we can't stop after we've recruited a seller board. We need to keep them engaged. You know, um, what are the things we need to watch out for? You've noted this before that turn board members off. You know, we thought we had them. We thought we had them engaged. So now what? Yeah, so a lot of this is, um, you know, what happens at the meeting. And, and one of the things is, is, is how well you handle their time. You have to kind of mentally think about if you take your volunteer board member at, say, $50 an hour, multiply how many people are in the room and how long they're there for. And think about how valuable that time is that is being invested in your organization. It's a major Indeed. gift for most groups. Indeed. And, and to look at that, then, then how do you spend your time with that mindset? And a couple of things that I see um, that are problems, not starting and ending on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it t- tra- at least I'm, I'm in a resort community. The traffic is terrible. And so for all that resort time, the first five minutes are like, oh my gosh, how the drive was and how you, know, how you managed and how you survived another one. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of that. You need a couple of minutes, but it, go ahead and start. I, I recommend really at three minutes after the appointed time, go. If you do that, people will train themselves to arrive on time because they don't like to apologize to everybody and everyone looks up when they arrive late, et cetera. Right, right. If you don't have a quorum, which is always, well, Karen, we can't, you have something to share on the agenda. Take the end step, take the updates on what's happening, you know, and, and as soon as you get a quorum, shift. But use their time well. And same with the ending. People plan their lives back to back. You have people who are committed, even if it's their family that they're going to be home to or dinner. They've made commitments and you want them to honor them. So better to say we are, you know, you can ask for permission once in a while to say we're going to run a few minutes late. Is it okay? Right. right. But better to plan it and say it's an hour and a half and make an hour and 15. Get them out of there. Love that advice. Be disciplined around your agenda be flexible on the agenda, right? To not just sit there and wait for a quorum. And uh, we can't waste their time, right, Karen? I guess the meetings themselves have to be engaging and informative so that they don't regret spending that hour, two hours, whatever with you. Yeah, one, one of the work I was interviewing board members and part of my strategy work, and she told me, hey, I'm ready to quit this board because they haven't asked me to do anything. The meetings aren't that compelling. I don't see us really doing anything that's important. I want to serve, but I want to be used, you know, and and sure enough, she did. She quit within 30 days of that. And we tried to rescue it, but it was not possible. But, but they, people, board members are there to to do meaningful work. You need to give them some meaningful tasks. And, and even if it's a matter of a a management thing that you're going to decide, you can say, this is my decision, but I'd like your input on it. 
Right. Um, you can bring them something meaningful. The other thing that turns off board members is surprises. Um, and that's when something hits the news and they didn't know about it. Yes, yes. Um, or anything like that that you thought maybe you had under control, <laughs> but didn't. Right. Uh, and and, and to, to do your best never to surprise them. Uh, and, and because they are there, they have made a commitment, their names are on your paperwork. And if something happens, it looks bad on them and that's not why they're there. Um, bad things do happen and, and things do get away from us. So we need to apologize and own up to it, but really doing your level best never to happen to be surprised by anything. Yeah. Love that. And that's such good advice. Apologize. As you said, be accountable, be transparent, but yes, do not have one of their friends calling them up about your organization, right? Something went wrong that will make them uncomfortable in a hurry. And um, they, can, they, they can cover you. If, if they know what's happening, you can figure out how you want to share it with the community. And they are really your best ambassadors for that because they will be pulled aside and asked. Excellent. Karen, I want to build on one of the good uh, point you made about having the one-on-one -on -one meetings with board members is a chance to do what you just described. Asking a new board member in that initial one-on-one, -on -one, what do you want to do while you're here? Right? And I think that's something you have alluded to that board members do have goals they want to be involved but i think a lot of times we don't ask them and then they then quietly serve their term and take off yeah well i had a, another board session i did where the one of the i think he's an insurance guy and he thought oh i'm i thought i was here to help you with insurance i didn't realize you wanted me to get people <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I have lots of people i can connect you with and so it's like I guess part of a lot of my philosophy is people, we use these broad things like build a relationship, like help with fundraising, like recruit other members. There's a lingo. And what exactly does that mean? Um, people, we don't, we, we don't insult people by giving them too much information. Like here's, here's a way to share information about our organization with someone you just met. You give them a script, you make it detailed, they don't want to read it, it's fine. But if they do want it, you've given it to them, haven't embarrassed them by like making them, you know, explain to me what you want me to say when I thank a donor. Great point. And, and such a good point to remind all of us that vague job descriptions or in language that we understand because as you said, we're immersed in it, doesn't mean it translates to our board, particularly our new board members. So I like your point. Let's make it conversational, give them examples of ways they can help. And often they will if they simply know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, leadership is, is helping to realize that, oh, how do I do that myself so I can show it to someone else? And, and we do many of our life skills, like calling the donors or, or right. you know, yeah, calling a board meeting. We've done it 90 times, so it's easy. And we don't know how that's, those steps are, but there's a number of steps and all that. That's a great point. Well, Karen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move down another lane of expertise for you, which, of course, is fundraising uh, and really enjoyed your book. It's called Let's Raise Nonprofit Millions Together. Nonprofit leaders, uh, whether they enjoy it or not, have to think about how they generate revenue. And so now we've talked about board talent and engaging it. Let's talk about your book and what it represents as such a wonderful resource. But maybe, Karen, you could talk about you put the book into two parts. Describe, if you will, for our listeners, why you did that and kind of what those two parts represent. I think I start with that because, and let me try that one again. Um, 
the two parts are about a the mindset of fundraising and and is fundraising a burden or is fundraising really a gift and how could it be seen as a gift and how could we be thinking about asking people to participate financially as a way to enrich their lives and if we have that mindset then we begin to realize that we're, we're, we are we miss if we don't engage them in fundraising as an opportunity to develop their their potential as human beings so that, that's part of the first half of the book. The second half of the book looks at different roles and that different roles in a nonprofit, meaning staff, board, your vendors, even your supporters, or your, your foundations and groups like that all have a role that can, they can help you together to raise money and looking at those individual roles. So like board members are really, really helpful because they're your hands out in the community. They are out there. They're attending all these other meetings. And they're going into these meetings and they're, they're sitting at lunch having another chicken dinner and, right. and, and they're sitting next to somebody they don't know and they can say to them, hey, are you involved in any nonprofits in the community? Oh, no, really? But what do you love? Oh, you love this. Oh, well, fabulous. I'm part of a group that works with that and bring that name back. So they can kind of be this out there people bringing you new resources instead of the same old, same old donors and board members um, and, and be there. They can also be part of giving you a stretch gift is right. a way to help raise it. And it's not just about the money. Of course, it's about the money. It's about modeling what it means to really get all the way into your organization and to really be committed to something bigger than themselves. I thought it was so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt you because I was just going to say you you set the stage for the mindset. And I think it's important, you, as you point out, everybody's on the development or fundraising team, right? Because sometimes I think nonprofits look at that in isolation. Well, that's the development director's job or that's the ED's job. And I guess that's kind of one of your key points, right? Everybody's on this fundraising team. Absolutely, because you need them. And, and we all know, let's say between... 200 and 600 people, but and all of those aren't potential prospects for our organization, but some of them are. And if you do the math in terms of like how many staff people, how many board members, and multiply them by 200, you have this potential people who are potentially your supporters by doing that. So Love yes, that. everyone everyone has a role um, guiding people into your community to help them to see if it's fit for them, and if it is, how they can be a part of it and help move the mission and the cause you're with. Now, I, I love the math that you articulate in that section. I saw that because I think often board members kind of shut down. They're like, well, maybe I don't know the wealthiest people in town, so I can't help you. And it's like, you're reminding them, well, no, you owe, you know, well, likely 200 people, you know, based on your research, right, Karen, we all, we all know what is it, 600, but then 200 particularly well, and if we look at those 200, clearly there are ways to connect the dots that could lead to relationships for our nonprofit. And, and I'll say this, even people who are not wealthy, the average bequest is $70,000. And you don't want people to come to your organization and die. That's not the goal. <laughs> right, uh, right. <laughs> but, but knowing the rule of numbers that you have all those people and people love your organization, not to throw people out because they're not wealthy. 
it doesn't mean they can't make a significant contribution. And Absolutely. I'm not talking about the quest. Um, to me, sometimes the most important people in a nonprofit are the ones who invite their friends who do have means um, and, and the, the connectors and the ones when you come in, they make you feel welcome and you want to come back. And, and they're the ones that, and this is some of the skills, they're the ones saying to people, hey, you know what, it's great you came to this event. Make sure you don't miss next week's event and getting that ongoing continuity of people coming to your, your organization. And, and Karen, you have a very cool, what I would describe as kind of relationship management matrix, if you will, um, where you talk about the six skills, I guess, or maybe it's better described as a path toward relationship building, but maybe talk about that because I thought that was one of the really neat tools that a nonprofit leader might do. And I guess maybe it also helps educate your board, right? That there are different ways um, you can introduce someone, you can engage them, you can get them committed, but Perhaps you could talk more about that. Absolutely. Um, these are all skills that anyone can do. From, and I say, I think in the book, from, from your night watchman on uh, or night watch person on. And, and that they're all, they're, they're all learned skills. They're all skills that everyone can do. And they include things like hosting. I walk into the organization and there's someone um, sitting in the lobby and they're like looking around. Well, you help them and say, how can I help you? They, they're there for a reason. Um, that, that's the behavior versus just walking on by. Very simple, but it, it's important. If you have a night watch person and he or she realizes that everyone's showing up at your organization at quarter to eight on Monday mornings and nobody's there, that's information you need. Why are they here? Oh, because something happens at 7.30 on Monday. I don't know, but, but you want to find that out and you want to open early that day or have someone there to help them. Um, speaking's another one. Imagine you are walking through a park and you hear someone and as you get closer, they're talking about your organization and they're saying these great things and it turns out it's a volunteer, <laughs> you know? Um. Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, you've, you've gotten the word out They're They're passing it versus someone who says, yeah, I love that group, but boy, they're, they're just doing this thing. Terrible. You know, the, the tendency we have to moan. So I can oh. go on, but these are the kinds of skills that everyone can be, if they're not doing them tuned into learned and encouraged to do. That's like you said earlier, I think board members um, indeed want to help. And this help, and, and I'm looking at it right now, it's Karen's The Friends and Fortune Flowchart, which you have provided as a tool within the book. And it might illustrate to board members there's multiple ways to help. And it's not for their lack of interest, um, but we have to sometimes model these skills and experiences. I wonder, Karen, have you have reactions to the book for there are many tools in here? Are there others that you know, readers and colleagues have told you were particularly helpful or anything else you'd lift up about the book? I'm thinking if you can figure out in your mind how to decide that fundraising is something that you're doing that's serving people versus something that you're doing that's inconveniencing them or um, puts you in that beggar mode, that would be huge in terms of your leadership. Yeah, I'd love how you make that point which in fact is it, if it feels and looks transactional to our donors, then it probably is, right? And yeah. you are helping us better articulate that, no, this is an investment in something that's good for you, good for me, good for our community. And then it doesn't feel like, I guess, some of the negative connotations around fundraising. Yeah, I think most people think of fundraising. My, my, my common example is like, you have to be a beggar, but you get to dress nicer. 
um, that, yeah, that, that is putting us on this level of us, 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 instead of we. Well put. Well, Karen, you have provided a, a goldmine of ideas and uh, advice and resources. I wonder, as you work with many nonprofit leaders now, any other kind of key points of advice you'd offer someone who may be in a leadership role now or aspiring to be in one? I would say, too, it really always important with your board, I'm going to go back to your board members, is to be thanking them. They are volunteers. They are, they are putting their reputations at risk, potentially. Um, they are there, and, and their leadership is, as a partnership with you, can, can really make a huge difference for you. So to be thanking them, coming from that mode of thank you, how can we do better um, together. Um, really, too, looking um, at thinking about how are we going to plan for now in, in this current year, and how are you going to plan for what comes after? Many nonprofits, whether it's COVID or other crises, get so caught in the weeds. Um, there's a need to split off some of what you're doing in your leadership to say, okay, we're going to get through this. What happens after? Um, and, and we don't do that enough. Um, we need to really, as leaders, get out of the details and stand back and think about what's happening overall. What's the big picture? Where do we want to go? Great advice. And you're right. It's hard sometimes not to just have our head down and get through the day, get through the week, but we need to build in that longer term strategic thinking. Certainly that uh, allows us to utilize our board members and our own kind of strategic planning muscles. And I'm grateful you've lifted that up as well. Uh, Karen, this has been fantastic. We're certainly going to lift up your book, which I would encourage our listeners to check out um, here. We're recording this just before the holidays in 2020. So if you need something to read, um, Karen's got a good book for you. Karen, I ask all my guests though, a similar question. Has there been a book or two meaningful to you on your journey that you might also recommend to our listeners? I want to recommend a book that probably would surprise you. Um, it's a book by Linda Berry called Syllabus, uh, Notes from an Accidental Professor. Um, and it's an art book. Um, during this 2020 year, I have been using art um, over the weekends and, and engaging that as, as my activity. Wow. And um, Linda, Linda does something. She teaches people how to look at things differently. And as nonprofit leaders, we need to be always thinking, how can we see this in a new light? Um, one of the things that kind of ties back to my first story about the, the, the board that didn't work was at that point when that happened to me, I thought I can never work with boards. And, and yet here I am, uh, how many yes. years later, doing a lot yes. of work with boards. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, so the things you think you can't do. But, but one of the things that struck me is I was working on another drawing and I could not make my lines straight at all. And Linda has you listen to things and just draw a circular line getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what I realized from that book is everything is learnable. I will never be in an art museum, but I can draw decently, you know, and same wow. thing, I may never be, board may never be your favorite thing or fundraising and everything, but you can learn enough to do quite well. Thank you very much. Love that. What a great lesson. And, and I'm delighted that you are bringing it, perhaps a non-traditional nonprofit book but it would help us, I think, with our perspectives to the, the work we're doing and how we look at it. Karen, you've been fantastic. Where can people find out more about you and the good work you're doing? 
I am at www.kedconsult.com, or if you type in Karen Eber Davis into any of your favorite search engines, it's <laughs> We will indeed make it easy for our listeners. Just go to the show notes. All of Karen's information, her resources and links will be there. And Karen, I just want to thank you again for joining me on the path. Patton, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Karen as much as I did and came away with some really practical ideas that can guide your leadership journey and enhance your nonprofit strategy in particular around fundraising and board development. Don't forget the show notes are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about Karen, her book, and other resources we discussed. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Just go to the podcast page, again, PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to Apple and other of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.